Maddie. And welcome to The Millennial Minimalist. Today we are speaking with our good friend and fellow millennial Hamza Khan about the topic of burnout. Hamza is a recognized serial entrepreneur, professor, keynote speaker, podcaster, and author of The Burnout Gamble, which is filled with stories and strategies on how to conquer stress and beat burnout. In his book, Hamza cites how stress has been called the health epidemic of the 21st century, and that millennials report a higher level of stress than any other generation. And today you will learn how the World Health Organization defines burnout as an official workplace syndrome. Hamza became inspired to dive deep into the topic of burnout after experiencing extreme burnout firsthand. Early in his career, he had overworked himself in an internship role, where for a period he had only slept 3-4 to four hours in 72 hours, to later find himself collapsed on a bathroom floor for 8 hours. Then in 2014, he was still overworking himself. He was running multiple businesses, speaking, teaching, and writing, and in this period he had also booked an exciting yet jam-packed vacation to make up for it. But when it came to cabbing to the airport and getting on the plane, he physically couldn't get himself to do so. Today, Hamza works to inspire others like you to protect yourself from burnout and avoid going down the path he did. With everything competing for our time, energy, and attention these days, Hamza offers tools that you can apply to your life to better manage stress and keep motivated. In our discussion, we hope to inspire you to adopt key insights that will help you channel your work, health, and relationships in a more intentional and mindful way. Thank you so much for being here today. We're so, so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is something I've been looking forward to for quite a long time. And when I received the invitation, I was like, time has come. I have been summoned. I've received the invitation. Thank you so much. That's great. Well, actually, Lauren and I were back and forth this week saying, gosh, I'm so excited to meet and chat with Hamza, mainly for me, um, because I've always wanted to, but also because this week was extremely stressful for me. I just find that I am basically gambling my health at this point and I'm, I'm working a lot and you know it's it's really getting to me so I and I know it is also a problem with a lot of my friends as well and so I really really want to learn more about what are the tools that we can adopt to help us simplify that area in our life and help us de-stress. So. Love it. That's exactly what I'm here to do. My brain is yours. Um, what I love about the framing of this podcast in particular, like I get a chance, I'm very lucky to do a lot of sort of press opportunities. I wouldn't call this press necessarily. This is just a conversation with friends. Yeah. And I love the setup in the preamble to this where you said that we're just hanging out, we're grabbing a coffee and catching up. And this is special because I don't feel the same sort of pressure that I would if I was doing like a small snippet on CBC News or CTV or whatever. Here I get to really dive deeper into the thoughts and explore them with you. But I love the lens that we're looking at this through, which is minimalism. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said about burnout, about structuring your life, your time, energy, and attention, and applying a minimalist framework to it. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to really strengthen my own knowledge about this subject and share the, share our findings together uh, with the listeners of the podcast. No, absolutely. And you know, Lauren and I have both had the privilege of reading your incredible book, The hey, Burnout hey, Gamble. Hey. <laughs> Honestly, it's full thank of you. so many awesome stories from many different people mm -hmm. um, that are really relatable and you offer strategies on how to manage stress and you say you know how to beat burnout in yes. a sense. So to give background for our audience, how do you define burnout? I know there are two ways that you went by it. So you're asking this question at a really interesting turning point in the conversation about burnout. So the way I've typically defined burnout prior to the recent development, which I'll get into in just a second, 
Burnout is a state of overwhelm, a state of physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion, when there's no gas left in the tank, essentially. Now, the World Health Organization has reclassified burnout, which has been a huge development in the community, where now the World Health Organization, the same organization that said that stress is the health epidemic of the 21st century, they've come out swinging and have labeled burnout as a medical condition, which sent shockwaves throughout the community and has really... You know, it's almost prompted me to go back and write a third edition of the book because so much of everything that I was trying to encourage the readers, especially government and business, to think about was that this is exactly what the World Health Organization now describes as chronic workplace stress that has been unmanaged. Chronic workplace stress that has been unmanaged. And I think the operative word there is chronic and as well as unmanaged. Unmanaged, yeah. So that's the new definition of burnout that I'm tinkering with, that I'm using to uh, look at my own work with Student Life Network, with my entrepreneurial endeavors, but also anytime I do any sort of consulting or speaking or just chatting with friends like us, that's the lens that I'm now looking at burnout through, the WHO definition. And you actually talk about the 12 stages of burnout in your book. Can you just kind of briefly go over them and how that relates to your personal experience? Yeah, because I was thinking about even my own experience this week, thinking, wow, I'm interested to know what stage I'm in. (laughs) Because I'm definitely on a stage at this point. I actually have, can we do one better over here? So I'll read out what the stages are, but I'd love to actually explore them with us. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be Um, great. And I think that rather than sort of rattling them off, we can take the, li- the listeners along for a journey and ask each other questions about like if we've experienced that stage, if we're in that stage. And I promise it won't be a, a, a laborious process, but right off the bat, it starts with the compulsion to prove oneself. Now, I think it's safe to say that we're doing a podcast here, recording it on a Saturday night. So yeah. at some level, the three uh-huh. of us already feel the compulsion to prove ourselves. But then it goes into working harder. And that's the slippery slope. As soon as you feel that Uh, the match strike with the compulsion to prove yourself, you've started the process of working harder. And it's interesting that it's not working smarter, it's not working more intentionally, it's just sheer brute force, more output. And originally we we sometimes equate that to, oh, that means more hours. Exactly. But really it should be about how much you're actually getting done, like your productivity level. 100%. One of the words that I learned early in my career was optics. Hamza, you have to manage the optics. You can't always be out of the office taking meetings. You can't always show up late. You have to be at your desk at nine. You know, take your scheduled lunch breaks, be back in half an hour. And I said, why? But I'm still getting work done. They're like, yeah, we know that. The optics. <laughs> it's such a strange idea, and especially that's a whole book of a conversation. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Especially in the future of work, when we think about remote workers, when we're thinking about the shift from outputs to outcomes, that's when the conversation about working hard and what that looks like for digital nomads, especially, uh, becomes tricky. And then let's go into this a little bit more. So, neglecting needs, stage number three, three of twelve, neglecting needs. So, let me ask you all a question: What's what's the first thing to go whenever you feel like? work is catching up to you and you're uh, up to your eyes and deadlines and overwhelmed and beginning the burnout process. Usually for me, that's sleep and going to the gym, but what is it for y'all? Um, I'm the exact same. It's sleep, going to the gym, and saying no to friends and family. Oh, so wait, you don't say no to friends and family? I do. You do, so yeah. you start cutting them off and mm-hmm. you start shutting down opportunities to socialize, mm-hmm. right? That's... I would say health, number one, though. That's the first thing I let go. So sleep. Sleep. Um, so I'm always cutting my sleep, and then when it comes to my nutrition, obviously, since my head's down, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not eating as, as well as I could. And then you're probably skipping meals as well. 
Uh, you know what? I really skip meals, but I would say that my meals aren't the same quality, right? Gotcha. And a lot of the time I'll have like a meal replacement bar or something like that, which is not good. No, so. you're not getting the necessary vitamins that compose right. Kelly Foss. Lauren, what about yourself? What's the first thing that okay. goes? Um, mine's not health. I feel like my health lifestyle is so simple. Um, and I have to get my sleep physically. Oh, like man. I just, if I don't get eight hours, it doesn't matter what's going on. Yep. So it's not sleep. Um, it's definitely social. Like I will be like, I can't go out tonight. I can't see my friends. I, it's like, I, I have to get this done. Right. And then it ends up backfiring on me always because then I'm sad and I'm like, have nothing to look forward to. So then I don't get as much work done anyways. Like oh, I feel like I'm, I'm more focused at work and I do better work if I have something in the evening. That's very interesting. There's yeah. there's a whole process, there's a series of things that need to happen in our respective lives that comprise us being our most whole selves. And yeah. so for me today to be here and be emotionally present, to be energetic, to be in the zone, I had to structure my day in such a way where I could show up the way that I am right now. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll probably get into like calendar. The conditions, uh, the conditions the that conditions. you set for yourself. Exactly, exactly. And um there's so much to explore. Yeah. Let's, let's keep going down this path. So uh, here's where it gets tricky for me. So I'm at stage four currently, displacement of conflict. So I am in the burnout cycle at the moment. Um, and we all are to a certain degree. So displacement of conflict, this is really interesting because earlier today, I just had one of those conversations with my partner, Bailey, one of those like diagnostic conversations where something is going wrong in the relationship and we have to address it head on, but it's a really difficult conversation that I've been putting off for a week. And I've been saying, we can't do it today because I have this. We can't do it tomorrow because I need to be in the zone for that. And it's taken us a week and we had this like three hour just sitting down like, when you do this, you make me feel like that session. And it was painful. It was tough. There were some tears. But ultimately, we came out stronger as a result. But mm -hmm. the fact that I de deferred it for, a, for an entire week means that I'm disorganized. And some people might say, Hamza, yeah, you're busy. You justify that. But I don't think that busy should be an excuse. In my, in my mind... Busy means disorganized. I mean, I can compare yeah. this to if I have something that is priority and maybe the most challenging task, I sometimes, well, I used to put it off, but now I, that's, it's the first thing that I focus on. And yeah. minimalism has helped me with that. It's like, hey, what's, what's important? And yes. you do that first. What is yeah. the thing that's going to stress you out the most? Eat Get the that frog. done. Yeah. yeah. It feels, I remember the first time I adopted that. I had a weekend to myself and I said, okay, what is the thing that's going to stress me out? This. So like, let's do it Friday night. Yeah. So I go into the weekend just feeling so much lighter. I love that. What's what's that, the, the, the saying, the thing you need the most is the thing you're least willing to do. And I think that derives from, uh, I think, a Jungian phrase, which is, sorry, I'm going to put you this, but essentially the thing that you need the most is where you're least willing to look. So the, essentially yeah. the thing that you're avoiding and pushing off is what you need to contend with right. and wrestle with right away. Right. So that brings us to stage number five, revision of values. So have you, any, either of you made it this far in the burnout cycle where you start to question the very foundations of who you are and your value system and your philosophies about life and work? We were just saying that before you got here. I think that when you are in a state of stress to this extent, you start to think, hey, you know, what am I losing? These are my values. These are what, this is what's important to me. And you feel like you're putting those things off. Yeah. And so you become more in touch with, wow, it like opens your eyes in a sense. Like there's a, there's a part of burnout that if you step back, you realize, wow, there's all these things that I'm losing yeah. and I need to figure out how to, you know, reverse all of this. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking yesterday, I mean, I'm a very passionate hard worker and I do love what I do, but at the same time, I need to be able to figure out how to 
how to balance everything and how to maybe say no more and minimalism. I think about, wow, like had I not adopted minimalism a year ago, right. I'd be more stressed. It's amazing how much this has helped me reflect and enabled me to basically pick out all the things that I want to do in my life and do them. Yeah. But now I've got so many things on the go Abundance. and so does Lauren. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, we, we, now we get to do everything we want to, but we can't do it all. Right. Problems of abundance, and 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 when you're not careful, and everything is a highest order priority, then some suddenly nothing is a priority. If everything is competing for attention, and you're not, not able to rank them, then what are you really working on? And I think that's where the revision of values becomes a little uh, underscored when you're burning out, because suddenly everything is either important or everything is unimportant, uh, and that leads right into stage number six, which is my favorite: denial of emerging problems. Rejecting the very premise that you're burning out. You know, people are saying it to me all the time. I, not right now, but when I was burning out, times that I have burned, I was like, "Hey, Hamza, put on a little bit of weight. Like, you look like a, you're a little tired. There's bags under your eyes. Your eyes are bloodshot. Uh, you're just your work is suffering." And that was the one that grinded my gears the most. It's like, "Hey, you're missing deadlines." And then I would find excuses for why the deadlines were unrealistic in the first place. They'd say, "But the quality of work. Like, we had to revise the writing. We had to revise the project plan." I'm like, "You know what?" That's because you gave me really short and I would just deny the fact that I had anything to do with this. Have you found yourself in that situation in the past? I mean, definitely. Not since I've adopted this life, though, yes. but absolutely. Right. Well, Sorry. and I feel like it's like sucks when the quality of your work goes down. Like if yeah. I'm just like doing them and I'm always like, I could have done that better if I had more time. Exactly. Or, um, I was more focused or if I wasn't doing as much. And going back, I feel like sometimes I'll do so much work that I'll stop and question and be like, am I working on my dreams? Like, what am right. I doing? Am I'm I just doing? on a day-to-day -day thing and like working at a job that I'm like, don't particularly like to like pay my bills. And like, yeah. it's just this like cycle that's not getting me anywhere. And, and then if you don't have enough time to work on your goals, which I want to get into in this conversation, but. I, I love that. And, and I think the beauty of having this conversation, I'm so excited for the listeners right now. I mean, they're listening to this and, and many are familiar with the term burnout and they, they have burned out and they understand burnout. But us having this conversation and sharing it with the listeners will create a new understanding of the signs of burnout, the symptoms of burnout as they manifest so that people can engage in the recovery processes much sooner and, uh, you know, label the, the, the ailment as it is. So for me, when you, I'm just thinking back to something that you said earlier, Lauren, like I need to get my eight hours of sleep is what you said. Yeah. It took me 30 years to realize, I'm 31 now, it took me 30 years to realize that I need eight hours of sleep. I was lying to myself for most of my life. I used I to pride myself on lack of sleep. Oh you my goodness. You don't never do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, man, I should have bought shares in Red Bull in my twenties. Like that's uh -huh. all I was drinking. I was just a human caffeine filter at that point in my life. My endocrine system was totally shot. But now whenever my work is suffering, it is a directly correlated with the lack of sleep. At this stage in my career, how I work is more important than what I work on. Um, and so if the quality of my work suffers, then that is usually a direct reflection of my inability to have recovered sufficiently. Correct. And or that, you have too many priorities on the go because yes. you're only giving everything 20, 30%. Exactly. And then you exactly. can't do your best deep work. 100%. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, deep work. And I'd love to actually dive deeper into that, no pun intended. 
And then now that brings us halfway through the burnout cycle. So we're now we're in the second half of it and uh, you go into withdrawal and then from withdrawal to odd behavioral changes, then depersonalization. And let's actually stop on depersonalization if that's cool for a second. Mm -hmm. Depersonalization is when you start to antagonize the people around you, when you start to become combative unnecessarily and you look to your partner, you look to your family, your friends, your roommates, whoever, and you start to almost dehumanize them and see them as sources of resistance and frustrations and you start to uh, project your own insecurities and your own qualms upon them and i've been there before and it is not fun because bridges do burn and relationships that have been subjected to depersonalization without any follow-up after the fact um those are damaged and sometimes you know to quote douglas copeland when people are broken in certain ways they can never be put back together so do i regret having passed through burnout absolutely but uh, am I now smarter and wiser and I can see this before it happens? Yes. And I hope that all of us uh, in the Minimalist Podcast universe are able to know that when you get to depersonalization, that's when some real damage happens. And then after that, you go into inner emptiness, which is stage 10. Yes. And stage 11, depression. So That so, is the extreme form of burnout. This is a tough one. So I've never been clinically diagnosed as depressed. I've never had a psychologist sit down with me and say, you're depressed, get on the medication that you need to. However, um, I, have de I have demonstrated all of the symptoms of depression throughout my life. Now, I don't want to go back and say that I was clinically depressed, but absolutely have had many a depressive episode, and there have been sometimes years of my life where I have been depressed. What about y'all? It's so interesting because I find that when you think of depression, you think of like, hey, like you saw a doctor and you are diagnosed. However, uh, I think we've all felt a form of depression. I think we all do. Yeah. I think it's natural. But I think right. that sometimes people could argue that you shouldn't be using the word depression. And, right. You know, again, sometimes even in my relationship, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm so down. Or, and then they get worried. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 I don't mean in that, to that extent. So right. you have to be also mindful of the words that you use Agreed. as well. So. I think in early iterations of my talk about the burnout gamble, I was much more liberal in my usage of the term depression and saying that I experienced depression. But exactly to what you said, words have power and I'm becoming more educated about the difference between clinical depression and depressive episodes. Yeah. Um, and so I'm starting to revisit sort of how depressed I was. Now, again, only the one wearing the shoe knows how, how badly it pinches. Um, what did depression feel like when I was going through it? It was a dark looming cloud at all times that I couldn't get away from. I, I didn't want to get up out of bed, didn't want to go to work, yeah. didn't want to see anyone. Uh, I always had thoughts that were teetering on the brink of the worst case scenario, never got to a point where I was considering some of the more um, darker and, and more intense manifestations of depression. Um, and I'll let the listeners interpret that as as, as, as they see fit. But um, and, and you, you know what the most man, interesting wow. part about all this is that <clears throat> I think you also talk about this in your book about how you, you realize that you're not a victim. You're a victim yeah. of yourself. Yes. And you put yourself there. Right. Uh, and it's... It's, you know, I'm always like, oh, I'm so stressed. Like, it's, it's a tough time right now. But again, it's all me. It's yep. all my fault. And you know what? The beauty of this is that I can solve it. Yes. Um, so how did you find that motivation to turn things around? Like, you even share, like, this amazing story that we opened up this podcast mm -hmm. with about how you got to this point where you couldn't even get on the plane to go on vacation because you were so incredibly burnt out. Right, and, and, and right before I dive into that story, great question. The final stage of burnout is uh, burnout syndrome, stage 12 of Dr. Herbert, 
Herbert Freudenberger and Dr. Gail North's 12 stage of burnout model. And that is complete physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion. At that stage, like if you were listening to this podcast and you're experiencing that, you got to go seek medical help at that point. And if you know somebody in your life who's showing all of these symptoms, who's, who's frankly made it past stage six, like please get them the help that they need. Absolutely. So in my case, how did I start to recover from this? It was, um, to quote one of my former mentors, I was forced to sit in the shit. And I think that, you know, us as millennials, I identify as a millennial as well. We, uh, there was a time in, in, in the recent past where we got caught up with, I guess the word for it is hustle porn. Hustle, like, Absolutely. It's a hustle yeah. culture. Hustle culture, it's, right? You know, we, we all need to be the 30 under 30. Like there's yeah. all this pressure and, on us. And then you turn 30 and you don't win it and you're like, oh. That didn't matter we're at all. all. Yeah. We're in a 30 in a week. I'm oh so excited. Boy. It's going to be, I'm so excited for you. It's going to be the best thing ever. You're yeah, going to wake no, up and then you're going to stop caring about so much shit that you're you gonna might go, care about. You're going to go, I can breathe. 20 so, so there was a, an overachieving version of Hamza that was so quick to jump to the solution for any problems in his life. And anytime there was a problem, whether in work, whether personally, professionally, even with my academics, just solve the problem right away. Solutionist mindset, think like a hustler, roll up your sleeves and fix it. Except there are some problems that deserve the time and the space to reflect on them and truly absorb what has happened and consider the gravity of your actions and think through the steps needed to truly recover from that. And so when I fell sick, when I wasn't able to follow through on that trip, when my body just completely shut down and gave up on me, uh, I was compromised and I had to just stay at home for as long as I did for the entire month of December in 2014 and sit in the shit and let myself feel how much I effed up. And once I was able to summon the strength to really think critically about what had happened, I started to pour through the literature, started to uh, listen to the podcast, read the books, listen to the audiobooks, talk to different doctors and specialists about what was happening, what had happened. And that's when I started to discover the vocabulary to articulate something that I had previously associated or something I had previously defined as uh, being weak, uh, not showing up, uh, not having the fortitude to make it in the industry. I mean, all of these symbols or so these associations of weakness and incompetence that were truly actually manifestations of burnout. I know so this is so rewiring. relatable for our audience right now. Absolutely relatable. Yeah, and we all feel it. We're all feeling it. And I think that's what prompted me to take my individual reflections and turn them into this larger project, which culminated in a talk and a book. Like, I was very reluctant to do this. Yeah. I mean, if, any, if anyone is listening to this and they're like, hey, man, I'm thinking about becoming an author, my question to you is, I would say to you, first of all, don't expect to make money off your book. Like, this has not made the money to recuperate the amount of time and opportunity costs that went into it. Every but, author says that to me, yeah. And, and it hasn't been great in my life. It has been fantastic. It's afforded me the opportunity to do things like this. But for me, I felt a sense of urgency to shelve every other project and put all of my resources in producing this, this what I hope has become the nucleus, at least, yeah. of a larger conversation. Because the scary thing in my research about burnout was how prevalent it was, how prevalent it is, mm -hmm. and how prevalent it is becoming, how much of a growing problem a sleeping giant it is. I was thinking about my friends, I was thinking about my family, and starting to see through this lens of burnout that we were all preheated. And it was only a matter of time before stories like mine happened again, but worse, there are some stories that I've chronicled in the book, uh, like Eric's Morehart, for instance, who I opened with, um, burnout ends uh, fatally in, in, in many cases. That's the scariest so part about it, is you actually reference in one of your TEDx talks how 
focusing on our overworking culture in China. Oh. Apparently every day, yep. 1,600 you got people it. die. You got it. From burnout every single day. And How these wild. people are not working in the fields. They're working at their desks. Yep. And it's just a reminder that we do need to take time, step back, and recover. Recovery is so important. Yeah, this is a macro problem that is, is, is staring us in the face. It is so in the spotlight, and it's around us all the time. And we're around people who are stressed. We're in work environments where people aren't showing up to work. They're taking sick days. They're taking mental health leaves. You know, they're showing up and they're going to the bathroom and they're crying and they're throwing up at work. And it's just like, whoa, there's the system's broken. Yeah. If the system is is causing people to opt out forcefully, uh, we have to rethink our not just how we work, but like society overall and what it is that we're doing over here and how the economy works and the factors from without the exogenous factors, if you will. I mean, the things that we can't control. There's a really good, good quote I heard the other day, and it said, if you don't take time for your wellness, you'll be forced to make time for your illness. Oh, say that one more time? That was fantastic. If you don't take time for your wellness, you will be forced to make time for your illness. If you don't take time for your wellness, you'll be forced to make time for your... I love that. And yeah, I love so that. And, you know, I, I love my mom. But she's a workaholic. Oh, no. And my dad, too. I come from a family of very hard workers. And that's why I am who I am mm -hmm. and very ambitious and always have my head down. That being said, I understand the importance of stepping back and recovering. And my mom's lying. This is her quote. She always says that. She's like, I can't take a day off work because then I don't get paid. And I'm like, yes. yes. But in the long term, mm -hmm. who knows? Like You're going to break down. You're going to crash. You know, as you said, comes on your book, you said consistency over intensity. Absolutely. So. Now, now, I'm going to throw a curveball over here. Yeah. And this is the number one criticism that I get of the burnout gamble of my teaching, of my speaking, of my writing. And help me explore this a little bit over mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Uh, someone once said, Hamza, isn't it a little bit hypocritical of you to now preach at this stage in your career things like that, consistency over intensity, whereas... For you to get through this stage, and he called it escape velocity, for you to achieve enough escape velocity to escape the 9 to 5 grind and to start working on your dreams and living in an ecosystem where you can teach and write and speak and do these things that bring you happiness, did you not have to burn out to get there? And I have been obsessed with that question because like your parents, Kelly, uh, my parents taught me the blueprint of hard work equals success and that was the formula that I operated with to get to where I am right now. So. Uh, I want to hear from you guys. I mean, is it possible to achieve a level of wild success? And I would consider all of us at this table having achieved levels of wild success. I mean, look at what we're doing for fun, man. We're having, yeah. we're sitting down and we're recording a podcast on a Saturday night. Life is good. Mm -hmm. well, by all measures, life is great. Mm -hmm. But to get here, did you have to burn out? So in, from my perspective, and I'll give the example of adopting this minimalism lifestyle, I would say that it's given me the opportunity again to eliminate things that I was doing that weren't in the right direction. So now I'm doing things that are in the right direction. But I did luckily have a period in between that time, right. a couple months, to really step back and reflect. Right. Now not everybody gets that opportunity. No. But even if I didn't have that opportunity and I was still working at a job that made me a little bit money while I figured out what I wanted next, I don't think it requires burnout. But I think that you can start feeling tons of stress and tons of burnout when you start thinking, hey, 
now that I'm, you know, for example, myself, I was working, you know, a very structured corporate job and now I'm an independent contractor. Right. So now I have this flexibility, but I'm working full time. I have a full time job, but I'm an independent contractor. And I find that there are a lot of hours, there are if, way more hours. But that being said, uh, and it gives me the opportunity to do my podcast, gives me the opportunity to still model. Yeah. Like there's all these other things that I can still do, but you realize that you don't have to burn out to get there, but you can burn out once you get there. If you don't, if you're not aware of where your time's going, right. you know, and right. realizing that like, like for a period there, and I'm starting to uh, fix this now, where I'm going to bed every night and it feels like Groundhog Day. I wow. put my, put my alarm on, and I get my five, six hours and I'm up again because I know the next day is going to happen. And people are like, oh, sorry, like, are, can I help you with meds and in terms of like helping you sleep better? I'm like, oh, no, I sleep fine. I close my eyes. I hit the bed. No problem. And I'm up right when my alarm goes oh, on. Wow. It's just I'm not. Yeah, it's not, not. I don't have a problem with sleep. It's like I don't have enough time in the day for yes. sleep. But thanks to minimalism, I've been able to create blocks in my schedule, which we'll talk about with you because I, I know you wait. organize your schedule oh, in a very interesting way. Yeah. And minimalism has really mm -hmm. helped me step away and be like, no, stop, go for your coffee, have a break. But I'm learning that I need to eliminate something that I do in my life to free up more time with my family and friends, as well as my fitness. So what I try to do in my days, I'm like, okay, well, since I can't go to the gym, I'm gonna make sure I walk to work every day. Yeah. Yeah. And since I don't have enough time to prepare for my next podcast, I'm going to go to the gym. If I'm going to the gym, I'm going to listen to a podcast while I'm on the treadmill so I can multitask and maximize all my time. Exactly. But you shouldn't live like that. Yeah. It sounds like you're in a flow state, though. And it seems like everything that you just described right now, we know each other and we're friends and, and this is not the first time that we've chatted. Like Those things you actually like doing, though. You love doing that. So you're not actually going out of your way to do something uncomfortable that will throw you off your balance. So... It sounds like in many ways you've incorporated into your life the sort of things where to somebody who hasn't, that would cause them to burn out. Just the intensity with which you're regimented with your sleep, going to the gym, listening to podcasts, investing daily in your professional development. You have developed a resilience that diminishes the impact of that stress on your life, True. which is part of mastery. So it sounds like you flirted with burnout, but you didn't go all the way down the cycle. And then you built up a tough exterior casing and internally as well to now incorporate those elements to unlock a new level of high performance. Well said. And you know what the beauty of this lifestyle is it makes you hyper-focus on everything you're doing right. so that you realize, hey, if there is a problem, and if I am feeling stressed, for example, this week, if I am feeling super stressed, what are the things that are the least important? Yeah. What are the things that I know I cannot live without? Right? Yeah. Keep those. The things that are the least important. It goes back to... Uh, the book Essentialism. Mm -hmm. And I was like, think about what's essential. And so right now, that's what I'm doing. And it's it. so helpful to think that way. Essent who's, it, who's Essentialism by? Uh, it's by Greg McEwen. Yeah. Okay. okay, perfect. Perfect. Okay. I'm um, gonna go now. Yeah, what about yourself? Because like, I walked into the studio and I saw a keyboard over there. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, we talked about like how you were getting back to and indulging in the arts. And you've talked about your ballet dancing and your new foray into stand-up comedy. Like, yes. I feel like we all have a lot to learn from Lauren in terms of just the right kind of balance. I'm so eager to hear this. Okay, okay. So I don't think that you have to burn out to reach your dreams. Okay, but talk to that, us. I think that you have to make sacrifices. Uh, and I think that we're all yes. we're all talking about working, working, working. And that one of the big things that we're not talking about is money. 
and people get so focused on money. If you're throwing up in the bathroom at work, do you love your job? Like, are you going in there and you're so passionate about your job that, like, if you really love something and you love doing something, like, it shouldn't bring that much stress to your life. Like, right. obviously, there's going to be challenges. Right. And minimalism helps you with money on so many levels because you're working to pay your bills, but you're not constantly in this, like, materialistic race. Like, you can find happiness and simplicity and you're yes. not always... Like, you can work a little bit less and then do things that make you happy or do a transition into a career, which is what I'm trying to do right now. And you can do that if you can financially cut back. And if you're, you are a minimalist and you have this super simple life, then it gives you more time and more availability to, to do that. Um, so I sell pre-construction for developer and I write for uh, U.S. real estate, like I write content. But like my real dream, I want to pursue this comedy thing right now yeah. to see where it goes. But it's long. Like I, some days I'll wake up at six o'clock and I don't get on stage till like eleven p.m. and I'm exhausted. exhausted. Yeah, I've done a full, full a day. A full day, yeah. and that's when I have to step back and be like, where can I make sacrifices? Do I need to go on a trip? Like, where can I cut back? Do I don't have to go shopping? I don't have to go for dinner because it's worth it to like make a little bit less money and pursue something that I actually want in life. And going back to, like, my lifestyle, my organization, when you are a minimalist, like, I don't really have to clean, I don't shop, like, I have my 10 outfits, I just eat dinner, like, I don't have all these meals, I'm not prepping things, I'm not organizing stuff. So, like, I have 30 minutes to play the piano every day. I have that hour every single morning to work out. It's non-negotiable. I love it. I read every day, I podcast, I do stand-up, I write. Like, you save time. You it's yeah, your precious resource, right? Your most precious. And so. you said you said the word non negotiable over there, which I think we definitely need to touch upon, especially when we talk about calendars a little bit. Yeah. Or on that I think you've unlocked something for me. So there was a a saying that was presented to me in my early twenties that I was really offended by. And the saying was, work harder or want less. And that bothered me so much. Right? Work yeah. harder or want less. And it, and it really upset me because that was a stage in my life where I was looking up at the world, where I still wanted everything. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to rise to the challenge. I'm going to work harder. And I got everything that I wanted and it burned out yeah. in the process. Now, the way that you've described wanting less, I used to see as a mark of weakness that you're giving up, you're throwing in the towel, but actually it is a true strength. Because subconsciously, the transition that I'm starting to make right now is I'm starting to do less. I actually want less without acknowledging it as such. I don't want to work as many hours as I'm working. I don't want to work on as many projects as I'm working on. I don't want to have as many touch points as I currently have in my life. I crave wanting less. Maybe it's because you want that hyper focus and that feeling of deep work. Yes, I want to get bored again. I want to feel the breakthrough creativity that prompted me down this path in the first place. I'm looking at that keyboard right now in the studio. <laughs> I want to have the presence, the time, the space to be able to play that and do it for myself. And I don't have that yet. So interesting enough, we uh, Lauren, Lauren recently interviewed Josh Davis, who wrote the book Two Awesome Hours. And he talks about, well, actually Lauren and him talk about Abraham Lincoln. And he says that he couldn't have built all these companies and been as successful as he was if he didn't also have that balance and he had great balance in yeah. his life where he was out with friends, he had a lot of fun, he did all these things that enabled him to build on his creativity and allow his mind to wander. He's all about mind wandering and he really supports that. 
And I think that's what you're looking for. You're allowing that creativity to come out of you because you're not having to be on all the time. You Ellie, just sit back and relax. Oh, man. I'm getting chills literally thinking about <laughs> this, right? Because in my former life, I used to be a creative. I used to be a graphic designer. And I learned very early that there's a difference between graphic design and art. Graphic design is what you do for clients. Art's what you do for yourself. And I was always very intentional about indulging in the art because when I didn't indulge in the art, my graphic design suffered as a result. And one of the earliest pieces of advice that I received by the creative community was get bored. Now, you try telling that to an overachiever, somebody who prides themselves on the hustle culture, if you will, um, that didn't sit well with me. And so I would resist trying to get bored. I would try to jam-pack my days with as many activities as possible. When I wasn't working, I was reading. When I wasn't reading, I was at the gym. When I wasn't at the gym, I was networking. Rarely was there any time in my day-to-day, -day, in my week-to-week, -week, in my year, where I would just be on a beach and allow myself and give myself the permission to get bored. And when I did get bored, that's when the book happened. That's when the yeah. talks happened. That's when the relationship really flourished. I mean, all of my biggest breakthroughs have come from intentional periods of boredom. And I really hope the listeners, uh, you know, you, you take this to heart. And please, like, find opportunities in your life to get bored because there's a quantum leap awaiting you on the other side of that. And that comes with saying no. Because we constantly get DM'd and people are phoning us, people are asking us, hey, like, hey, Hamza, especially you, you probably have so much on it. I know we all know you have a lot on the go and people are reaching out to you. They want to just hang out. Hang out? Really? Are you mm -hmm. kidding me? No. Like, like you understand this, this is my list right now. You think that yeah. I can hand out? Absolutely not. So you, you mentioned a mentor figure of yours who said, uh, you mentioned this in a podcast, she said that a confident no is better than a half-ass yes. Yeah, shout to Joanne Lim. And I love that. Yeah. Mm. So how can we strengthen our relationship with the act of saying no? Why is it important? Ooh, this is, I'm having a blast here. Y'all are asking some fantastic <laughs> questions. Like, I definitely want a tr transcript of this podcast. Like, this is, uh, this is something that I'm going to revisit time and again. Uh, so thank you. Thank you again for this opportunity. Why is it important to say no? Um, for the same reason that you won't allow me to look at your bank account, for the same reason that you won't allow me to reach into your bag and pull out your credit card and go swipe willy-nilly, for the same reason that you won't let me take cash from you because you value that commodity. That commodity is important to you. You have established that as a high order priority in your life. That is a reflection of your work. That is something that you use to ascribe value to. But why are we not doing that for the most important resource in our life? Time. I think the number one mistake that people make is that they don't block book their calendar. Their calendar is wide open, it's a template, it is a carte blanche, and people just book things into it. But every time I book time with you, and every time I time, book time with you, Lauren, uh, I'm taking your time. I'm taking your time, because that is time that you need to work on the things that bring you happiness into your life. Now, it just so happens that on this night, all three of us wanted to be here and share in this time together. So this is a, this is a pooled expense. Saturday night. This is a pooled uh -huh. expense. But when you make no your default answer, you are guarding your time, you are being vigilant with your time, your most precious resource, in the same way that you are with your bank, with your bank account. I've learned that budgets are reflections of your priorities, and calendars are budgets for time. Mm -hmm. So what's in your calendar is a direct reflection of what's important to you. Somebody once said to me, uh, show me your calendar and I'll tell you what's important to you. Now if I open up my calendar, you can see very clearly what's important to me, and I'm sure that I could do the same with the two of you over here. So it's important to make no your default answer. Now, uh, do you make that an abrasive no? No, absolutely not. You're going to burn all the bridges and you're not going to be very popular or have a lot going on for you if you do that. But you have to master the art of a respectful no. So when you reached out, Kelly, you asked about certain dates and times. I think there was just a little bit of back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we agreed on a date. 
had I just been like, no, Kelly, not doing this, you would have been like, screw this guy. Like, who does he think he is, man? I'm ne- never inviting you back onto the podcast. Mm-hmm. It was like, Kelly, I would love to do this podcast. Thank you so much. Instead of this date, could we do that date instead? It was a respectful no, but uh, by establishing no as my default answer, I protected my time because the day that we had initially uh, planned for this, there was something else that would have drained my energy such that I would have showed up at less than 50% for this podcast. And that Funny enough, for same for me. So I was Perfect. very thankful for the no. Because we would have both been depleted. Absolutely. This, right? On Friday nights, I, can, I, need, yeah. I need to stay in because I'm so drained from the week. It's just how I am. Have you ever done a podcast in that state? Like, have you ever, uh, I, like, Lauren and I absolutely have. I feel like you would pull yourself together. Then. I'm a freak of nature sometimes, yeah. but yeah. I have struggled. Oh. There was one episode, and for Ideas into Action uh, podcast listeners, if there's any overlap over here, uh, sorry for the shameless plug, this podcast that no, I No, we love your podcast, oh, thank and you. a lot of our listeners have listened to our podcast where you interviewed me, because we also uh, brought it on our on our podcast. So. There, thank you so much. There, there's a couple of episodes where I'm definitely holding on by a thread, because I had... I had jam-packed my days and then I'd showed up I had shown up for a late podcast recording and you could see like I'm fading and I'm like I'm not as engaged with it with, with the guest and um, you know it's so important moving forward for season two and beyond that that I ensure that if I'm doing a podcast recording that nothing else is booked that day if possible which is why I love yeah. the Saturday recording slots these are special side note congratulations on season one of ideas and action thank you and yeah. you were a guest a fantastic guest thank you Lauren we had to make sure that Kelly ran through the gauntlet before we got you on we didn't want to disrespect no you by worries. bringing you on to a raw <laughs> podcast but uh, we're gonna do it so exciting uh, so speaking of saying no a lot of people ask me and say when you say no do you tell people why I said no you say, unfortunately, I can't. I never specify reasoning. I don't think you need to tell someone the reason why. I think it's okay to say, sorry, I can't make it. But we could also look at different times in this week or that month. And sometimes you have to tell people, sorry, you know what? The next month I have this priority. I can't see you. Uh, and usually if someone does take that personally, then... I don't know. I'd argue that maybe you don't want them in your life. Damn, that's that next yeah. level Kelly confidence. I don't have that, man. I always have to justify why I'm saying no. I'm too insecure. Like I feel like anytime I say no to somebody, I'm letting them down. You said no, and yeah. it made me happy. I love that. I've never but you, that you, you made an assumption. You assumed that I'd be upset that you wanted to change yeah. the time, but never make assumptions. Four agreements. The book of four true. agreements. Never make assumptions. Yeah, I... I, I I swear by it now. I, I have become the Oprah of no's. Like, I don't love no's. You get a no, you get a no. Look under your chairs, you all get no's. That's my, that's my go-to move now. Uh, but the respectful no is, um, you know, I, I thank you so much for thanking me for this opportunity. I cannot do it for the following reasons. Instead, can we do this? So that last, the third part of that respectful no is a bit of the judo move, where I redirect the energy so that the person doesn't feel like I'm leaving them high and dry. You know what the irony of all this is? Is that you just have to find your own way of saying no. Yes. Like your own style and whether you feel better explaining yourself or whether you don't feel the need to. Exactly. And one of the minimalists says, if you say no to someone and they get upset, then you should be happy that you didn't say yes to them. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, what you say. Because it's like if they're like, oh... I can't believe you're not going to do that for me. It's like, well, now I'm kind of glad and I'm not going to. If that's the way you're going to react. Do you ever get these like really hostile bids from people where they ask you something and the expectation is that you're going to say yes, even though it's like coming out of the blue? Like, for example, I get this on LinkedIn all the time. I get these messages being like, hey, I'd love to chat. These are the dates that I'm available at. Like, they're just so forward. 
Whoa, they make the assumption that you're going to say yes. Yeah, I mean, they Whoa. just, I mean, they write these. I hope they're tailoring these messages to me. I'd be dis I feel a little bit disrespectful. They're edit, copy, and pasting. Edit, they are, aren't they, right? Or using these like broadcasting tools, but it's always like, hey, Hamza, we should really explore and grab coffee, and these are the dates that I'm available at. And I'm just like, oh, man, I feel like you've already made the commitment to meeting in person, and I have to let you down because there's no context that makes sense for why we should meet. So yeah. let's just say I'm, let's put this into perspective. Let's say I'm an intern. Yes. And I really want to meet with you, Hamza, because I want to learn more about burnout. I want to learn more about your background and everything that you do. So I reach out to you. What's the best way for me to reach out to you? You asked a fantastic question. And I hope that this is my Achilles heel until the end of time, because I can't imagine a life in which my circumstances change where I have to say no to people outright. I just ask that you be patient. Like Reach out to me the way that everybody else does email, phone, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, everything. And I will say, hey, drop me a line at humzathumzacon.ca. I'll put you in touch with what I call the protective layer of my life. I have a virtual assistant who manages my calendar. I don't book anything in my calendar. It has to go through a series of rules and filters. Yeah. Now, the problem is if you reach out to me now, you're probably going to meet with me in September. And if you're okay with that, we can make it happen. But if you're impatient and you feel like we absolutely have to meet next week, I mean, I can go in there and override things and make special cases for friends and for work situations, but for the casual out of the blue, let's grab coffees, I just ask for a little patience. That's great. But That's good. I do anticipate that there might come a time in my life, I mean, all of our lives, where if we continue on the trajectories that we're on, we're going to have to get to a place where the coffees might take a year to happen. Mm -hmm. Like I imagine if I message Chris Pratt right now, I'm like, hey, Chris Pratt, saw your movie the other day. Avengers Endgame would love to grab coffee. And if Chris Pratt is a decent human being, he'll be like, oh man, I would love to grab coffee as well. Let me know when you're in LA in the next decade, right? Like, yeah, you know, I have a little story like that as well. I mean, I, I worked for Air Canada and I had emailed yeah. someone at Air Canada, someone uh, in the C-suite and didn't hear back from him for well over two and a half months, two and a half, three months. Wild. So wow. he finally emailed me back. So never assume that that person will never get back to you. Right. They may actually get back to you and it doesn't hurt to try. And yeah. I think most people are well-intentioned. People yeah. want to meet and I think that we all have benefited. I know I certainly have. I would not be here today if people hadn't gone out of their way to make time for me. I mean, everyone from Simon Rayner at Sony Music being like, let's just meet for half an hour. Changed my life. Satish Kanwar, I don't meet him a lot. I see him at the gym every now and then. We do the old head nod. But he took time out of his very busy day many, many years ago. I'll never forget this, to sit down with me and my coworkers and, who's and this have guy? a coffee. He is a VP at Shopify right now. Oh, wow. Okay, great. One of the head honchos over there. Went out of his way. It's something that probably he doesn't even remember. And you know what, Satish, if you're listening to this man, thank you for that because you opened up my eyes for what the possibilities were for a young kid growing up in Scarborough to pursue a career in marketing and entrepreneurship. A small little thing that you didn't have to do. You did not benefit. In fact, you bought coffee for us. So I owe you a coffee at some point when we meet up again. These people want to learn from us just as much as we want to learn from them. 100%. So any of the listeners of the podcast, this is an open invitation. Please reach out to me. I would love to meet with you. The fact that you've taken the time to listen to Kelly, Lauren, and myself go on and talk about burnout and productivity. I mean, you have uh, your special place in my heart, truly. So you are speaking to our millennial audience. Yes. Uh, in one of your TED Talks, you mentioned that our generation, the millennials, we are the most susceptible to burnout. We report a higher level of stress than any other generation. Yeah. So why is this the case? Oh, man. You've opened up Pandora's Big question. box, Kelly. Kelly, Pandora's box, Kelly. Um, there's the exogenous factors, the factors from without, the factors outside of our control that are preheating society for burnout, right? 
I put them into a convenient acronym for us, CASEL. Competition, alienation, society, technology, loneliness, and the economy. There's wow. very little that we can do as individuals to change this. These are happening with or without our permission. The world is getting more competitive, more dense. Alienation, we're becoming more disillusioned and more withdrawn from the work because things like automation are removing us further and further away from the direct application and hands-on nature of what work used to be. Society, we talked a little bit about hustle porn and hustle culture. I mean, you look around, you flip through Instagram right now, everybody's living their best life, working really hard, achieving milestone after milestone, and we've bought into this like almost a treadmill that we have to be on in order to just keep up with the Joneses or keep up with now all of our Instagram following. And then technology, I think that speaks for itself. Millennials, we understand this better than anyone else. We're all addicts at some level to our phones, to our devices. It's the first thing that we see when we wake up, the last thing we, we check before we go to sleep. Um, how about loneliness, right? A big city like this in Toronto, we're looking out through the studio, we see this beautiful vista of buildings all around us. I guarantee you, in every single building, there are people who are feeling immense loneliness, which is bizarre because just walk outside, go to a bar, you know, go downstairs, go to your gym, walk the streets, you're going to meet people. But it's very difficult when everyone's on their phone, when everyone's insecure and worrying about themselves. And it's somewhat ironic because, like, think about how many followers you have on Instagram, right? <sighs> Instagram, yeah. And now just picture that many people in a room at a networking event, at a birthday party, right? That's a lot of people. Why are we still lonely? How is everyone yeah. connected, but how is everyone connecting, but not connected? Or the other way around, how is everyone connected, but not yeah. connecting? Like, there are times where even I feel lonely. I'm like, oh my God, I haven't seen my friends in a long time. Absolutely. And, you know, the social media intermediary of using to connect with people is just a holding pattern until you meet them in real life again. Now, we're very blessed that we have you, especially the two of you, best friends. Uh, you guys hang out a lot. You took a recent trip to, to New York as well. The average, uh, I, this is a stat that I cited in the book, the amount of friends that the average American has has dropped to zero. The average American wow. has no friends. Can wow. you believe that? Wow. That's crazy. Well, maybe close friends. Yeah, that's, that's, <sighs> it's, it's interesting because we can have everything in front of us, in our, in front of us with our device. Yeah. This can be our friend. This is our, this is our friend. This right? is our it friend. It knows us better than anyone else. It like, does, in a scary way sometimes, but yeah. And, and then you have that, and then you have the economy. I mean, as millennials, one of the, 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 the toughest things for us, and we talk about this openly all the time, like, how many of us at this table are homeowners? I'm not. I don't own a home. I've I kind don't. of given up on the idea of owning a home. And I'm doing well salary-wise. I have investments. I have savings, multiple revenue streams. I can't afford a home right now. This is wild. As soon as I reached the goal that my parents established and they said, this is how much money you need for a down payment, the goalpost shifted. Right. The economy has been in free fall for as long as I can remember. I graduated into the recession. And I don't know if it's ever going to fix itself. 87. 87. There we go. 87, 87 babies, right? <laughs> 2008, I go to university yeah. and they're just like, hey, so by the way, the job that you wanted doesn't exist doesn't anymore. Exist. <laughs> the price of everything has gone up. And I'm like, oh, so the dreams that you fed me for the last decade or so, I'm not going to reach that. I'm not going to have a home. I'm not going to have two kids running on a lawn with a white picket fence. Nope. You're going to get a box in the sky and you're going to pay $5,000 a month for it. Right. That's how so, it is here in, in Canada. It's, crazy. Yeah. it's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. So those are the factors outside of your control. Now, here's where it gets really sinister. The coping mechanism for that. So how do we cope as millennials? Uh, we give in to what I call the Pepsi myths, these five different myths. Progress, efficiency, perfection, satisfaction, innovation. We believe that 
We're not progressive enough. We're not efficient enough. We're not perfect enough. We're not satisfied enough. We're not innovative enough. We're never enough. We're never enough. Because we're always scrolling through whatever thing yeah. looks perfect, perfect. Exactly. And we're just obsessed with that, reaching that paragon, reaching that example of perfectness uh, that has been defined by somebody else, by marketing professionals, by the system as a whole. Um, and so because we never feel like we're enough, we're constantly preheated for burnout by factors outside of our control. And uh, we, we give into ways of acting out, of working, of living, of being, of thinking that cause us to burn out. So I think that there's things that are happening outside of your control, but the things that, within, that are within your control, if you're not careful, you give into those myths. You give into those myths of modernity that really just messes up and cause us to become overachievers and flame out. Well, we have control on how much we expose ourselves to that. 100%. Um, I want to say something on loneliness too. Please, please. When I get lonely, I feel like it, it is my own fault. Like, I Until, can wow. text people and just be like, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, hey, I'm out here, come. And I'm like, and then I go and I'm not lonely anymore. So, like, it sucks feeling that way. But it takes two seconds to send a text. And if you don't have someone to send a text to, like, you can join recreational sports teams. Or, like, there's so many things to do to meet people. So, if you are lonely, like, it, I know it's my own fault if I'm mm -hmm. being lonely. Because mm -hmm. then when I'm out with people, I'm like, Oh my god, like this was so simple. Like, I, uh, yeah, I think it's harder to be lonely than it is to actually find people. Like, it's actually yeah. much easier to find people with common shared interests. Yeah. Now, especially with the internet, you can find communities and organizations and groups for any niche possible. What are you into? Are you into really fine whiskeys? I'm sure you can find a whiskey tasting club here in Toronto. Yeah. It might have three people in it, mm -hmm. but guess what? They're going to be your new friends. Yeah, there you go. It's that simple. Okay, now I want to talk about please, exposure. Please. I feel like we are always like trying to chase this perfectionism and everything, which there is a lot of marketing that we can't control. But the thing is, like with Instagram and with social media, you can't control how much you go on. Like <laughs> yeah. people are like, oh my god, social media is ruining my life. It's like social media is an app on your phone. Yes. Like you can delete yes. it. It takes three seconds. Hundred percent. So it's like, and I try to go on Instagram maybe once or twice a month. And a month. A month. Oh, she's amazing that Shout way. Out to so you are, you are a rare breed. Thank like, you. They don't thank make them you. like you anymore. And then when I go on, I'm like, this is why I don't go yeah. on because I don't <laughs> care that you're walking your dog. I don't <laughs> care what you have for breakfast. Like, there's other things. That, oh, and man. you can see how long you spend on Instagram. Like, yeah. some people spend an hour, two hours a day. It's sick. And then they're like, where do you find time to play the piano? It's like, it's absolutely <laughs> sickening. And it's I'm, just, I'm sorry, can, can, yeah. sorry, you were saying something? No, 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 keep going. Um, I, I teach about social media at Ryerson yeah. University. I've spent the last decade of my life working in the field. And in many ways, I feel guilty and a little bit complicit in creating and contributing to, at least I shouldn't say creating, I was taking too much credit, contributing in my small way to what social media has become today, the way that we've become obsessed and hooked on it. I feel like I was a peddler of it at a time when it was really starting to bubble up in the conference circuits and I was going out and speaking, extolling the virtues of why you should be on Facebook and why you should invest in Instagram, so on and so forth. <laughs> it is sinister what is happening with these apps. I mean, they've hijacked what's known as the limbic system. And for the listeners who don't know what that is, that is the part of your brain responsible for memory, emotion, and arousal. Huh? Memory, emotion, and arousal? You've basically hijacked what makes me human. Yeah. So I feel like at times there have been... Uh, you know, phases in my life where I've been almost intravenously connected to my phone, where I would post something and then immediately that feeling would happen like, oh my God, do people like me? Do they see me? Do they acknowledge yeah. me? Do I have worth? Am I attractive? Am I successful? And I would just refresh and refresh and refresh and that counter wouldn't go past the triple digits and I'm like, 
shit, I gotta take this down. Yeah. Because people are gonna see this and they're gonna be like, Hamza, you only got 88 likes? Ew, amateur, right? Just You'll bullshit. see people posting images and they'll delete, delete them. them. I feel like I judge them more if they delete them. 100%. And then the worst thing that I would do is I would click on the likes and I would audit the likes. I'd be like, huh, so you didn't like this, but you you saw my story, but you didn't like this post. Are we still friends? The things that, if that's a granular uh, level that people are obsessing man. over that is just so incredibly unhealthy. It's, it's and, so bad, yeah. I mean, if, if those who are listening really want to dive deeper into this topic, uh, I highly recommend the book Digital Minimalism Digital by Minimalism. Cal Newport. And also read the article by Andrew Sullivan. I used to be a human being, because it just it just brings things to heart where you realize, wow, like yeah. if I'm feeling these things, I need to figure out how to stop it now or turn off my notifications, etc., so that I don't reach this form of burnout like he did. So absolutely, and 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 to echo these points, and especially what you said, Lauren, about like this is an app on your phone. Yeah. I'm thinking about my partner who's investing a lot of time working on this. This is the, the subject of her thesis right now in her master's program, Bailey Parnell. She's also got a TED talk called the, the Dark Side of Social Media, which I'd highly recommend the listeners to check out as a compliment to all the resources that we shared. I definitely want to check out Cal Newport's book. But she says that you wouldn't blame Samsung television for a bad TV show. It's the medium. And you can, power is yours to create a safer social media experience. She calls yeah. it safe social. Like you have the power to go in and audit and unfollow people yeah. and, you know, get rid of the brands and the influencers in your account. And instead, follow artists, follow accounts that are going to, uh, you know, comprise a more healthy media diet for you. Inspire you, yeah. Curate, delete. I mean, just get or rid mute. of the people. You can mute people now. You can mute people. And yeah. how great is it that? All of these topics, I have very little subject matter expertise when it comes to minimalism, but it just sounds like what we're talking about here is decluttering. Oh, yeah. You, it, we had an entire episode on how to declutter your smartphone, which was Ooh. absolutely huge. I need and to go back and check that out. I even go back. Lauren and I even go back. But Lauren and I, our, our Instagram page, at Millennial Minimalists, we love it because everybody who we follow... And all of our engagement is just so healthy. And when I scroll through, I just feel like a better person because uh, we have basically refined what we're following and seeing every day. And engaging with our community, for me, sense of community that goes back to the idea of feeling lonely and depressed. Like we have an amazing community and amazing. a solid community. And we, we get value out of our Instagram page. But when it comes to our personal pages, there's a lot of decluttering that still needs to happen. And this doesn't even just mean getting rid of people. Even you even follow brands. Like get yeah. rid of that. Get rid stuff. of that. You don't I need don't to see it every day. Any brands. I don't follow people that I haven't met in person. I don't follow any strangers or celebrities. I mean I'll follow the occasional artist over there who's posting pictures of their work. Yeah. It makes me so happy. It feels like it's the equivalent of drinking a smoothie or eating a salad. Like the, the media diet that I get now. It's healthy. It's good for me. I like yeah, that. The media like diet. The media diet. And I actually get that phrase from a book that I would highly recommend everyone check out called Amusing Ourselves to Death, uh, Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business. It was written by somebody by the name of Neil Postman, Dr. Neil Postman. It's one of those, like, I call it a before and after book. There's your life before you read it and there's your life after it. That book is single-handedly responsible for why I stopped consuming the news. Am I abreast of current events? Absolutely. But do I read newspapers? Do I get news feeds through my Twitter account? Do I open up CNN or MSNBC every day? Absolutely not. There's just too much junk over there. And the juxtaposition between advertising and these stories that you need time to sort of sit and absorb, not good for you. That's, that's I mean, that's junk food. 
Can we talk about your calendar now? Oh, yes. yes. Absolutely. So you have a very interesting way of organizing your calendar around your energy, yeah. which I like to call heat mapping, heat mapping and time blocking to replenish your energy. Can you discuss this further? Absolutely. So we don't have a visual for the audience, but I've decided I'm going to show y'all what I did today. Okay. So uh, I'll describe this for the listeners. That's wow. my calendar over there, right? And you can see it's color coded. So for example, we'll look at what my morning looked like. My morning, I woke up at 5 a.m. That was a power-up process. So what happened during the power-up, and it's green over there because the color green in my cup in my calendar uh, is indicative of things that are going to give me the energy to attack the day. Oh, that's incredible. That. Okay. Okay, so I want to hear what you do during I, that time. Yeah, I powered up 5 a.m., a little bit of meditating, a little bit of reading, and then I went to the gym. That happened early in the morning. I love slow mornings. I'm like you. First thing I do, an espresso and a book, and that's the only way I can wake up. The best. It's absolutely the best. Yeah. The, the, the days where I'm, I'm absolutely at my worst are days where I had no control of my morning. If yeah. you can own the morning, if you can master your mornings, the rest of the day is a cinch. And to something that you said earlier, Kelly, like attack that thing that's really bugging you, the thing that's bothering you, and get it out of the way ASAP. When I go to the gym and it's difficult for me and there are days that I never want to go to the gym, just like, oh, this is such a bad idea. Who wants to run and lift weights at like 6 o'clock mm -hmm. in the morning? If I do that, every other problem of the day is so diminutive by comparison. Uh, then here I have on the weekends, flex. So those are blocks in my calendar that I've blocked out. Nobody can book me on Saturday. I'm, I'm unbookable on Saturday. So my assistant, Alma, God bless her soul, nobody, she can't book that. If people are like, hey, I want to meet Hums on Saturday, good luck. It's not going to happen. Then here you are, the only meeting I've had all day. Fire. And now here's what's interesting. It's not as red as that. So that is a talk that I have to do. Next week, mm -hmm. it's red. And what red means is, Hamza, you're going to lose all the energy. That's going to be high stakes, high performance. You're probably getting paid to open your mouth and do something or consult. And you're going to have to be performing. And God help you because you are going to be wrecked. Do not meet with anyone after that because right. you need to just sleep. So what is yellow? I'll tell you what yellow is. Yellow is travel for me. Oh. That's what I have. Yellow is just like a thing that I don't want to do, but I have to do. Oh. But orange for me is like... It's going to be intense. I'm going to have to be on. I'm going to have to be emotionally present, physically present, but it's not going to be as high stakes and as stressful as doing some sort of gig because yeah. I'm with friends right now. Now, here's the thing. If I classified that whole minimalist uh, podcast with Millennial Minimalist as green, I would have been very relaxed, almost like subdued, and the listeners would have been having a terrible time. They would have been like... I was putting us to sleep over here. But because it was orange, I made sure that my entire day was geared towards showing up in the best way possible for that. Wow. So now when I look at my calendar, I can just scroll through and look at next week and be like, hey, so you know what? It's a pretty chill week next week. I can relax. I can meet with friends. I can work. I can have my lunch at the scheduled times that I need to. There's nothing to worry about. There's no sort of oscillating between intense output and intense recovery. But then the weekend after, it gets a little wild. And then as we get further into November, it gets really, really red because there's a lot of speaking that's happening, a lot of traveling that's happening. So the reason why this happens, friends, is uh, I don't know about y'all, but I'm a raging introvert. Lauren? Lauren, you're an introvert? introvert yeah. I'm both. But Stand-up comedians. I feel like... Uh, <laughs> I need my time by myself. Like when you were talking about being bored before, like I will just sit and look out the window. Like people call me and they're like, where are you? I'm like, I'm looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Author Josh Davis also said we should 
create time for just looking out the window. Yeah. When he said that, I said, oh my gosh, that is literally That's Lauren. My life. That makes me so happy to hear that. Like as an introvert, I, I struggled with that for most of my life because the extroverts in my life and my lack of understanding of what introversion and extroversion were led me to believe that something was wrong with me, that I was antisocial, I that I hated too. people. Uh, that I was broken somehow. But then as I worked in the world of student affairs and I started to realize that introversion and extroversion are simply measures of how we expend and replenish energy, I was like, hey, you know what? I'm hanging out with y'all. Nobody knows any better. I, I play a really good extrovert on TV or on podcasts. Yeah. But make no mistake about this. When I go home tonight, I'm going to go home and just curl up by the couch and watch UFC and call it a night. I can't, yeah. I can't do anything else after this because... I, I'm having a great time over here. Y'all are my friends. I'm loving this experience, but I have to be real about what my body needs. My body Absolutely. craves the recovery process. So where I developed this calendar system was realizing that I was burning out no matter how disciplined I was becoming with the events in my calendar. So something was something was off. There was a lot of events. There was a lot of blocked off time. But the one thing I hadn't considered was what I was going to lose energy doing. And I think it's very important that you structure recovery time during periods of transition. Whenever you're doing some context switching, whenever you're doing something that demands a level of output from you that deserves commensurate recovery, you have to put that in your calendar. Otherwise, you're asking for you're asking for burnout. And it goes back to the burnout. idea of saying no. You have to say no, even to yourself. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to create space to relax Absolutely. the next hour or you're going to find yourself trapped. And I think a lot of even people who have families especially – like they have to be on during the day at work, then they get home, then they have their second job with their kids. And then they have to be, for example, like I think about my, my current state as someone who's working around the clock. I think, wow, what if I had a family, you know, and then you come home, then you're seeing your family. And yes. then, you know, you, you have to be the perfect wife and yep. be there. And it's just like, how do you do all those things? So Superwoman. you yeah. need to create <laughs> those blocks of time that say, no, this is for this. Right. And I think with kids especially, I grew up with a mom who's a babysitter who's been babysitting for over 35 years. So I understand how, how it could be to be a mom yes. uh, and what it's like. Uh, it would be nice to have a mom on the podcast one day to talk about all this. But yeah, no, you can still create that time. I know you can, and it's so important too. And I'm, I'm very curious to know, like, so I hear everything you're saying, but you're, you're both millennials, you, you've both got a lot going on, you're both uh, caught up in, in building your dreams. Like, Give me an example for what's going to happen tonight, after the podcast is done, after we shut down the studio and we stop recording. Like, What does the rest of your night look like? Lauren? Um, I'm going to make pasta. Hey, so good. I made some kachu and earlier today. So good. Oh, um, yeah, and I'm just going to chill. I was actually thinking how I'm going to plan my, because I have a really busy day tomorrow. Right. So, um, yeah, no, I'm just going to eat and chill. She's going to relax. I'm going to go to bed early. I went out the last two nights, so I'm... And, that, and that's amazing, out. like, that you're resisting what the societal pressure is to go out on a Saturday night and talk to friends and be at a bar yeah. and go out dancing or work on your startup. Like, you're doing the right thing following an intense experience, like, recording this podcast. Yeah. Like, this is fun, but make no mistake about it. Like, we're all three of us are on right now. Absolutely. Yeah. We're on. But the fact that you're going to oscillate between this and then recovering by making the pasta and doing something mindful like that's the way to do it what about you kelly so for me sometimes i choose to ride my highs so if i get a high okay, and a boost from something yeah, yeah. then i want to go out after so yes. one of my best friends is in town from san francisco I just found out 
like two days ago. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to go meet you. Ride no. the high. And yeah. it's not even because, you know what? I, in some part of me says, hey, I actually would love to stay in and replenish my energy. Mm-hmm. But I know that I've said, no, I can't meet you twice already. And I know that this is my opportunity and I'm going to take it. First of all, because I really want to catch up with him. But also because there's something about when I'm in a good mood and I'm excited and I have, I'm riding a high, I, I want to take advantage of that and be at my best. I love that. And I, I sometimes find myself doing that as well, riding the high. Like when, when you know, just lean into the feelings, do what feels right. Yeah. Um, I, would inc- I would caution the listeners though. Like, so if the listeners feel like, you know, and I'm thinking back to some advice that I received, bad advice I received when I started my speaking career. Somebody said that if you don't get a high from speaking, that's probably not for you. And that bummed me out because as an introvert, like I lose energy anytime I walk off the stage. Yeah. Um, so when I'm talking about energy expenditure and riding the high, like you have to understand that it doesn't have to happen immediately with the thing. Like, am I deeply activated and fulfilled by the act and art of speaking? 100%. But do I lose energy in the moment? Yes. That's not an indication of how disengaged I am with the end result of speaking. I think that you know, and this comes back to stress, which is the underlying challenge of burnout. When you're burning out, really what you're talking about is a symptom of stress, a life lived out of balance. But sometimes there's such a thing as good stress, eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, eustress, which is a measure of how engaged you are with the things that bring you joy and happiness in your life. Like, now that conversation that I had earlier today with my partner, stressful as hell, but it was yeah. eustress. It was good stress because on the other side of that stress was a healthier, happier relationship. Relief. Yeah. Exactly. And I think de-stress, D-I-S-T-R-E-S-S, is the thing that we've commonly associated with any type of stress. But not all stress is made the same. That's really important that you do that with your partner. I feel like that in and of itself should be a podcast. It's tough, man. so many people in relationships (laughs) don't do that, and then things blow up. I'm very lucky that I have a partner who's very communicative. Yeah. Because uh, my default is just uh, shut down and be silent and passive just be like, aggression. yeah, pa- not even <laughs> passive aggressive. It's just like become almost like a push, like get get become a pushover and just be like, yeah, it's all right, it's no problem. Just grin yeah. and bear it and tough it out. Right. But then that culminates into a different type of burnout, which resentment. is resentment. Resentment, and and it's actually there's a, there's a law that I, I show in the burnout gamble, the Yerkes Dodson law, which shows the relationship between the amount of pressure and difficulty and your performance. And the relationship shows that if there's too much pressure, then your performance is bad. And if there's not enough uh, pressure, your performance is equally as bad. So shutting down and disengaging Hmm. with your partner or disengaging with something, that's known as underwhelmed burnout. Yeah, which I learned that from your book. I had never heard of that before, Mm -hmm. which makes so much stress because I've gone through since. I've gone through periods in my life where like I wasn't working enough and I was really unhappy. Different kind of burnout, right? A different kind of burnout. So interesting. So back to the type of burnout that we live in today. Today we live in this culture of overwork. There's so many articles online about it. It's fascinating. And the reason why there are so many articles is because it's damaging our productivity and our health, which is even more dangerous. Yes. And so I was thinking the other day, I was like, well, who is to blame? Like, is it our economy? Is Is it our technologies? Is it industry? Who's to blame and how can we change this rising epidemic, so it's an epidemic today, to protect future generations and the future of work? Wow. You, you asked such a, a large question. I feel wholly inadequate answering this question. So I'll, I'll do my best to shut up where the, 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 the extent of my knowledge starts to fall out because this is a bigger problem than I thought getting into this. Like We have to approach this from a much larger perspective. We have to look at this 
from multiple angles. We have to consider, you know, you know, let's just let's just open it up. Like the colonial legacy that has shaped the world as we know, that has shaped the economy as we know it. So the three of us are caught up in busyness. Yes. But you think about somebody who's truly wealthy, who owns, who owns businesses, who owns property. They're not busy. They're, they have a lot of time on their hands. They have a lot of time on <laughs> their hands. They have time for deep thinking, for reflection, yeah. for boredom, for creativity. They don't have to actively work to produce the means to live. And so there are some structural challenges that we have to overcome over here. And I think what has happened is, you know, when you when you consider the echoes of the colonial legacy, who the owners were and what they own, and the idea that so much of the wealth is concentrated with such a small group, the 99% of us that are working every day, that have paychecks and are struggling to pay bills and are showing up to jobs that we don't love, how we cope with the reality of this uh, rat race that we're in is we subscribe to the myths of modernity, progress, efficiency, perfection, satisfaction, innovation, and we start to glorify the hustle. And that's dangerous because when you start to glorify the hustle, basically what you're signaling is that I'm a workhorse, I'm a really good workhorse, I'm a, I'm a powerful, strong, fast workhorse, but at the end of the day, it's still a workhorse. You're not actually wealthy. You're not actually buying back your time. You don't actually have the luxury of ducking out and bowing out of the system and living life on your own terms. You're still part of the system. You're still in many ways shackled to the system. We're connecting busyness with success. And it's not and the same thing. And that is not the same no. thing. And that is not the case. And that's what I'm trying to basically... Uh, deconstruct out of every article that I'm reading. I'm like, okay, you have that perspective, you have that perspective, like, what is it? And what can I, as a millennial, what can we as millennials do today? And as you, you are a leader, you are a professor, you are teaching these students, like, how do you lead mindfully? Like, that's another question mm -hmm. for you. Like, how do you lead in a way that helps people realize, hey, like, I appreciate if you have work-life balance. Like, I want you to... Everyone owes it to themselves to answer this question. What does enough look like for me? And I think enough is a two-component answer. It's uh, where do you want to be and how do you want to feel? Where do you want to be and how do you want to feel? And everyone owes it to themselves to define that. And I think start with the end in mind, right? Understand that we're humans and we're having the time of our life right now. We're enjoying this, but it's all going to end at some point. Assuming that there's no ailment that happens prematurely or we don't die unexpectedly, that our life expectancy is that we're going to get, you know, we've, you, Kelly, you and I have used up a couple of decades. I think, Lauren, are you younger than us? Two oh, years younger than us. Two years younger than us? Yeah. So we've, we've used uh, a solid two decades of our lives and a little bit more than that. Uh, and at best, we're going to have four more of these decades, yeah. right? For a total life expectancy of 70, maybe 80 if we're lucky. And then it's all going to end. So that's where we're going to be. The question is, how do we want to feel when we make it there? When we're six feet under, who are the people that are going to be around us? And what are they going to say about us when we're not in the room anymore? When we're not even on the planet? Yeah. Um, are people going to cry that we're gone? Are people going to be happy that we lived? Are people going to listen to this podcast long after we're done? Are people going to read the book? Are people going to think fondly about Kelly and Lauren and be like, you know what? My life is better because I got to see Lauren on stage and she made me laugh and critically engage with this. You know, I had a chance to work with Kelly and Kelly really opened up so many lanes in my life that allowed me to flourish and thrive. So that's where you're going to be. How do you want to feel? Then reverse engineer and create the milestones up to that. Because I'll tell you a shitty thing that happened. I was 17 and I imagined what I wanted my life to be like and I set these goals for myself and then I reached those goals and everything that I wanted as a 17 year old happened in my mid-20s. I was wholly unhappy. Yeah. I was wholly unhappy because A, these were the dreams of a 17 year old first of all. 
But secondly, I failed to define what enough looked like for me. Because when I reached that stage, I still wasn't enough based on who I had become. Had I now planned in advance and said to myself, what is enough for me to be happy? I need to be in a happy, healthy relationship. I need to have friends that I'm regularly in touch with, who I can depend on and trust me. You know, I need to do right by all the people that I've wronged in my life. I need to be able to uh, have this much money in the bank to take care of a rainy day, so on and so forth. Like, come up with that list for yourself. Take it a step further. I mean, I, there's an exercise that I would recommend people do. Uh, it's called the, the perfect day exercise. So go on an Excel spreadsheet and a Google sheet and whatever, and think about the perfect day in your life and then break it down. Like, where do you wake up? What do you have for breakfast? Who are you with? How do you travel? Where are you working? And just price it out. Price it out. Just come up with a price list for what a perfect day in your life costs. Multiply that by 365 adjust for inflation, and you're going to come up with a number that is a lot lower than you think. Because yeah. everyone believes that, hey, I yeah. have to be a millionaire to be truly happy and have this much money saved. That number for me was not a lot. I was actually shocked when I saw that number. I said, for me to be an optimal happiness, for me to feel like materially I'm enough. Lauren always brings this up. I always do, yeah. Right? Of working backwards, yeah. Working backwards. And I learned it from Tim Ferriss, the four-hour work week, just reversing lifestyle design, right? Yeah. Um, that book was instrumental for me, another before and after book, but everyone on this podcast, the three of us especially, we owe it to ourselves absolutely to define what enough is, because unless we know what enough is, we're never going to be where we think we should be, and we're never going to feel how we think we should feel. Well yeah. said. And we way overcomplicate the process. Like, I think that everyone's like, I want this much money, and I want a house, and I want this car, and I want these clothes, and I want this savings, and I want to travel here. It's like... Yeah, that's great. But then if your day-to-day sucks, who cares? Who like cares? if you're stressed out and like you hate your job and you're not doing anything interesting or challenging. And to, even when you were saying, um, you know, what are you going to contribute when you're gone? You can even turn that internally and be selfish and be like, what makes your day good? Like, yes. do you? And I, the people I am envious above all else is just the people who walk in and they like their job and everyone benefits from it. That is right. If you go to get your haircut and your hairdresser loves their job, it is an amazing experience for both of, That's both it. of you. And like that is the key to life. And like you say, like the things I enjoy doing, reading a book, chilling with my parents, hanging out with my friends, mm-hmm. taking a nap. So you feel enough. Yeah. Right? In and your day to day, there's moments where expensive. you connect with that definition of what is truly going to light up Lauren's life. Yeah. And, and you it's live so your life simple. through that. That's amazing. I mean, I, I wish everybody had that. I has that. And and I hope sincerely that the listeners like you can connect to that and and accept that. You don't have to open up Instagram and look at what he or she or they are doing and say, that's what I need to be doing. I mean use it for inspiration, use it for motivation. But if you're caught up in it and it's making you wholly unhappy, like you got some bigger questions to ask. And that's the beauty of minimalism. It's all about stepping back and checking in Absolutely. with yourself. Yeah. It's Lauren and I like to say it's a lifestyle template. Ooh, and, a lifestyle and that's template. how we began this journey. And you know, this lifestyle, it's a template that you can create for yourself. I love it. Uh, it's it's this beautiful whiteboard. And you write down all the things you're passionate about and or all the things that you have interest in that you can develop into a passion. And even if you, let's say I have multiple priorities, for example, myself, it also requires a lot of maintenance, this lifestyle. Yeah. So that being said, let's think of a drawing board. So I've got three, four, five priorities. What is the least important? What are the things that I need to shuffle around? What do I need to spend more time on and less time on? And I think we all have to kind of check in and continually step back and check in. And Mark Champagne talks about this all the time, all about recovery and the importance of it, but also just 
redesigning your life because yes. your lifestyle template is going to change every every few yeah, years. Yeah, and progress. Yeah, it, but the, it, the beauty of this lifestyle is that like all the other things are simplified. You know, especially with the things I'm buying. Like I'm only buying things that I need and that I'll use, right? right? Or right. the things that I value to my life. Right. And so that makes every all all the other decisions in your life so much so easier. Much easier yes. So even though I felt burnt out and maybe not to the extreme, maybe level five this week. I know that I can have it under control because I have this, this, yeah, I'm living this lifestyle yeah, that's yeah. like giving me this light, lightness. Like I feel like I'm light. I don't feel like I'm weighed down. So yeah. I'm able to go through these challenges and face them and be like, okay, let's solve them. Rather than be like, oh man, like I don't know what to do. Like, you know, like obviously we, we all feel that at some point. But there are solutions that we can we can go My to, goodness. right? Kelly, you you've identified in the most succinct terms like what I think is truly the antidote to the problems, modern elements of burning out. Like mm. burning out is a problem of abundance in most cases. Is that yeah. you have too many things going on and you're contending with job A and side hustle B and you know relationship C and and just too many things happening at once. The sense of overwhelm, being outside of your comfort zone. But you've used such like poetic words to talk about like wanting less having less of being in control and um you know i, I truly think that if people em embrace this template that you talked about this lifestyle template and they treat that template as a reflection of their priorities in terms of time in terms of clutter in terms of how much competes for their attention um that's that's the magic right there that's the magic right there i mean the, the world will change if our consumption patterns change I think so too. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. And it, it starts with us. Yes. I really think it starts with us. And and you know, don't push it on to others, but just live this lifestyle and hope that they see the value and the positivity that comes from it so that they'll start applying it to their lives. So and hopefully we've influenced you as well, Hamza, today. Absolutely. My goodness. My mind has been racing. Like I think I need to ride this high as well. This has been this has been a lot of fun. Well, we want to thank you so much for being a part of our podcast thank today. You. Like thank you. we have spoken about you, I would say at least four to five times across our wow. 54, 55 episodes now. Wow. Uh, and so now our audience gets to meet Hamza. Uh, we want to know what is next for you. Are you gonna write another book? And and then maybe follow that with where our audience can find you. That's, that's a great question. Thank you. And first of all, like, thank you. I mean, this is a, this has been a true honor. I, I, I enjoy contending with these ideas and talking about them, but the opportunities to do them with friends, do them in an environment where I get to approach from a different angle is rare. And, and you know, I sometimes feel like a, like a broken record saying the same sound bites time and again, but here I truly got to engage with the subject matter uh, in a way, in ways that I haven't done before. So this has been such a treat for me. Sincerely, thank you. Um, what's happening next for me? So a new version of the book is underway. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So I'm teaming up with a few writers to build out more components for the book and really incorporate some new research about the burnout gambles. So um, it's not going to be the burnout gamble. So the second edition of the book is what I have over here. The third edition is going to be called the burnout gamble, the dragon edition. And it's really going to be, uh, we're going to take a, a deeper dive into the systems and the habits that you need to, to bring into your life to truly master um, resilience and to recover from burnout and to never let it sort of dictate and determine the course of your life uh, such that you burn out time and again. So by incorporating new research, new anecdotes, um, by really uh, uh, thinking about the World Health Organization's reclassification of burnout, I'm going to go in there with these new writers, incorporate this new research. It's going to be a little bit bigger. 
uh, and it's going to have a companion audiobook with it. And the thing that I'm working on that I'm excited to announce on this podcast first is a course companion to this book. Now, it's not unlike any other course you've taken before. I've done Skillshare courses and whatnot. Shout out to Skillshare. Another course is being worked on over there. But I've invested in a platform called MyQuest. And what it is, it's a gamified learning platform such that you can only progress through each module if you actually complete the challenges. And it's going to distill what the Dragon Method's learning learnings are into a course such that you can take it on your mobile phone, um, you can take it on tablet just in time, and you follow along this guided path to either recover from burnout and build up the resilience to avoid it moving forward. So dr- the Dragon Method is an opportunity to protect yourself from the signs. Exactly, exactly. To protect yourself uh, from the signs of burnout, but also, I mean, you can be phased for burnout recovery and minimizing the stressors and reducing their frequency and impact on your life, but then also building up that tough, tougher skin to not burn out again in the future. So I'm very excited for that. Those are all like Q4 projects that, that I've, I've got going on. Um, otherwise, I'm spending a lot of time just getting bored. Mm-hmm. A lot of camping is happening. A lot of traveling is happening. That. Uh, for the first time, I'm taking the Burnout Gamble to Australia, so that's happening in November. Congratulations, wow. yeah, that's huge. I'm so excited. So there's a, a, a university that I'm speaking at. I'm speaking at a couple of smaller events in Sydney, and then I'm speaking at a national conference of psychologists in Brisbane. Am I saying that right? Brisbane? Yeah. Brisbane? Yeah. Um, so I'm pumped for that. This has, been, this has been a wild year as far as speaking is concerned, as traveling is concerned. Um, but I have to, from time to time, revisit my own book and Take pages literally from my own book and I love that. and 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 make sure that I'm I'm burning bright without burning out. I love that. That's your quote: "Burn bright, not wow. out." I love that, and we're we're super excited to interview you again once your book is written. That would be amazing so to interview you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I would love to have both of you back on, and Kelly, I'd love to have you back for Lauren for the first time, and definitely not the last time. You're part of the Ideas into Action family. Love We'd to. love to do an exchange program. Yeah. So, where can people find you on social? Yes, you can find me on social at Hamza K on Instagram, at Hamza K on Twitter. I'm uh, backslash Hamza Khan author on Facebook. Um, and then I have a new version of my website coming out very soon. It's going to coincide with my birthday on August 26th. It's hamzakhan.ca. You can learn about me, what I'm working on, what I'm doing. Um, check out my writings uh, that I publish mainly on Medium these days. And I've got my podcast and Kelly's episode, one of my favorite episodes. Kelly was absolutely fantastic on there. I would recommend that you check it out, starting with Kelly's episode. And if you like what you hear, then continue along for the for the other 24 episodes. All right. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, hopefully we speak so to you soon. Of course. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, listeners. Really appreciate this. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye. Bye.